welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Faith and Coffee Brewcast with Eric Letterman. Faith and Coffee is a blog and podcast about Christian faith and life in the everyday. I'm Eric Letterman, pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Tempe, Arizona. Whether you're driving, sitting and enjoying a cup of coffee or whatever you're doing, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the Brewcast, everyone. Last spring, I had the distinct pleasure of talking with my friend and colleague, the Reverend Katie Sexton Wood. Katie is the executive director of the Arizona Faith Network and is an ordained minister in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Previously, she served as the senior pastor at Coolwater Christian Church here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Most recently, she earned a Master of Science in Nonprofit Management and Leadership from Walden University, Minnesota. She earned her Master of Divinity from Lexington Theological Seminary, a Master of Arts in Christian Studies from Grand Canyon University, also here in Arizona, with an emphasis in youth ministry. She earned her Bachelor of Arts in Leadership and Organizational Studies with a minor in Religious Studies from Chapman University in Los Angeles. Whew, that is a lot. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it also. Here it is. Katie, welcome to the Faith and Coffee Brewcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Ta-da! I'm so Ta-da. glad. Uh, so yeah, this is only the second season of the podcast, but I'm really excited to. Uh, so all of the other ones were the warm up for you. Oh, I'm just so saying, sure. <laughs> including the, the the highest ecclesial office in the Presbyterian Church, our stated clerk of the General Assembly. He was the warm up to Katie Sexton. I'm just saying. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Brad's going to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much for coming. You have had um, quite a career in the sense that um, as far as where you've come uh, to not only to ordination, but also serving in a fairly extensive uh, interfaith uh, organization, the Arizona Faith Network, which I'm a, a member of and my church and my presbytery and my synod are all partners with, um, which is an amazing organization. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but tell me your story. How did you get to this point? What led you to even want to become a minister? What, what led you into, uh, into ministry and, and more specifically into this, this work and to be the executive director of Arizona faith network. Oh, good. Thanks for having me. Um, the infamous uh, call story that ministers get asked all the yeah, time. Usually we can rattle it off like real quick. We've said our, it so many times. Yeah. Our elevator speech, but I'll dive a little bit deeper than that 30 second um, bullet point overview. So um, I am a born and raised Arizonan. My family's been here in Glendale specifically, in Glendale, Arizona, for a while now. Um, on my mom's side, my mom came down from uh, Nebraska, and that side of my family really came from um, poor, pretty poor farming roots, um, and we're really struggling. And so when they got to Arizona, they moved into Glendale and continued some of the farming uh, legacy down here. And and uh, moved into what is now uh, downtown Glendale area. And so that's where I grew up. And I actually own the house I grew up in. My husband and I bought it in uh, oh, wow. March. Yeah, that's it's awesome. really been, it's been a neat project. Um, oh, and, and, and you're relatively newly married. 
Yes, I'm relatively newly married. So we got to um, add that to the whole list of experiences as well. Yeah. yeah. Four, Sorry, interrupt four months. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, we got married in the pandemic, which is another story uh, right. that <laughs> will go down one day. Um, but yeah, so we bought the house I grew up in, and this neighborhood really shaped me and a lot of my views um, on justice and my understanding of how God works in the world and uh, what what we're supposed to be doing in terms of being Jesus's hands and feet um, as Christians. And so when I was growing up here in downtown Glendale area, um, this neighborhood was highly, highly, highly an immigrant neighborhood, um, primarily the Latinx community. Um, most of my friends were folks um, who either they themselves had come from Mexico um, undocumented or their parents had. And, and so there was a lot of struggle going on in this neighborhood. I remember um, when I was in high school, that's when gangs really came in. The neighborhood had been middle class when it was really founded um, in the 60s. And then I really started to um, get infiltrated with um, drugs and gangs in the early 90s and early 2000s. And so... Um, some of that had to do with drug trafficking. Um, some of that had to do with the city and the state not really um, putting any money or services in this area for a long time. Um, and so I saw a lot of my neighbors and my friends and their families suffering um, from homelessness um, on the street to um, trying to figure out how do you navigate a, a country that doesn't have the greatest immigration system or is not really welcoming to the stranger as we're, we're called to be, right? Um, yeah. and, and so I graduated before um, SB 1070 hit, um, but when that hit, I saw a lot of things change in my neighborhood too. But let me back up just a little bit um, because my youth group was really formative um, in my personal faith journey. Um, and I sound like a lot of other progressive Christian pastors that say church camp made me want to become a minister, <laughs> but uh, church camp made me want to become a minister uh, in a lot of ways. It was definitely the place where I discerned um, my calling to at least know that I wanted to continue in ministry and in some form or fashion. I did all of the stereotypical leadership things of being on our state youth council for my denomination, um, went through a bunch of leadership trainings growing up. Um, and, and some of that was just wanting to travel when my family didn't have the money for me to. Um, and that was a, a way to do it and, and to really figure out you know, where do I latch on? Um, we were, I, I'm one of four girls, I'm the youngest. And so kind of when I got in to my teenage years, um, my older sisters were going to college. And so we were really struggling financially then. And so I um, tried to stay involved in activities that didn't cost a lot of money and the church for the most part was free you yeah. know, but, um, and, and provided a lot of opportunities to, to get trained, to get involved, to understand my neighborhood around me, to understand different people around me. And my denomination has always been really great about interfaith work, about social justice work and really learning how to be um, 
where you are, I mean, meaning that in like serving where, where your church is like, and, and being a, a community, um, space for the folks that are around you. And so I very, very early in my life got into working with the homeless, with the poor, with, um, the migrant population, um, and called them my friends and my neighbors and wasn't, you know, too afraid of, of the other or the stranger. Cause I, that's how I lived my whole life. Hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. So that led me up to, um, high school and then <laughs> coming from such a, a diverse area, I then decided to go to, uh, Orange County, California. <laughs> my neck of the woods. Yeah. Well, yeah. Eric, what's the how was, OC how like? was that? How was Chapman? <laughs> now Chapman's actually is it? In, it's not in LA. It's in Orange County, isn't it? Yeah, it's in Orange. Yeah, Orange County. Okay. The, but you say LA just because it's easier because nobody understands what Orange County is. Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that I was I reading off that. your LinkedIn. That's where I'm like, Chapman University. I didn't know they had a campus oh, in LA. Okay. You know what? They probably. I think they do now the university expanded some. Um, oh, okay. All right. All right. No, but I went to the traditional Chapman in um, orange off the yep. orange circle. Oh yeah. Uh, I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> Those were my stomping grounds. Um, you know, the place where I turned 21. So you probably know all those places too. <laughs> uh, but my, uh, that's a disciples affiliated school. So that's how I ended up there. Um, my oldest sister went there, um, met her husband, got married, lived in Fullerton, um, right down the street from there, about 20 minutes. Um, and so I had nieces and nephews already by the time I went there. And um, a really interesting story, my, um, my pastors I grew up with um, were, their kids were my best, fr- my best friends. Um, so my pastors were Mike and Lori growing up at First Christian Church Glendale here in Arizona, and uh, they had two daughters, and I came from a family of four daughters. Um, and so their two daughters were the same age as me and my sister that was right a year and a half older than me. So we always babysat them because we lived two blocks from the church. Mm. Um, and they moved uh, to Sacramento, uh, California, stealing all those people from us um, in third grade. But I remained really good friends to this day. Um, wow. with Nancy, uh, I officiated her, her marriage, um, with her dad, but we ended up going to college together. And so Chapman was a place where we, we, um, reunited and, uh, oh, so got cool. to, wow. yeah, it's really cool. Um, and so there's just a lot of disciples of Christ is just such a tiny denomination in the United States and Canada. And so there's, all these, you know, one degree, two degrees of separations of all. Well, all I these heard y'all ways. know each other. Like everybody knows everybody in the denomination. Like yeah, all... al- almost. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. al- almost, though, really. I mean, it really, it really feels like that that um, small of a crowd there. And so I, uh, I went to Chapman, which is, you know, just drenched with in in um, affluent. How do I say this in PC terms? Um, white people yes <laughs> like, you could say yes 
Um, it was a, it was very much a school that was just disoriented, which I loved. It was a big film school. I have a lot of friends doing some amazing projects um, coming out of there. Uh, big theater, dance school, liberal arts school definitely continued shaping um, my political views and my, my understanding of social justice. I got to study abroad there, went to South Africa, studied the apartheid. Um, and and through that, I um, I also saw there that there were kind of like a separation in terms of class, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of what money you came in. There were like the scholarship kids, and then there were the, the kids that had a lot of money. Um, that yeah, Chapman's not cheap. It is not cheap. We won't talk about student loans. But it is a good school. Not, <laughs> it is a great school. And so... Um, Finished up there and graduated into the recession. Um, got tired of the traffic there. Um, is that a degree unto <laughs> itself? The graduation yeah. into recession? That's a. Yeah. I mean, what was around in 2008? Nothing, yeah. right? So I ended right. up moving back home. Um, lost one of my very best friends to cancer during that time. Wow, um, yeah, thank you. And so I ended up moving back home, grief in the recession and started working at DCU, um, Grand Canyon University. And I actually worked in higher, or, um, in the college of nursing there. And I had a phenomenal okay. boss. I have been insanely lucky to have just had the best bosses through at least my adult life. <laughs> And for, for those who don't know, uh, Grand Canyon University is a pretty major university. It is actually a major university here in Phoenix. It is a private Christian university. Um, I don't know what the religious background is of it, though. Is it? They tend to be more. They tend to be on the conservative side of the theology spectrum. Yeah, honest. they were. They were Southern Baptist until they That's were bought I mean. out in two thousand four. I think it was, um, and now they're non-denominational, but evangelical Evangel- essentially okay. yeah so yeah. well so many saddleback all these churches have the southern baptist roots you know yeah um they, and these these more evangelical churches it's it's pretty common yeah what was it like being immersed in disciples of christ for at chapman and then suddenly being thrust into gcu that must have been a bit of a culture shock <laughs> no? so i was in a bubble though because i was in in healthcare there so working for the Dean of Nursing, doing business stuff, and I started their uh, Office of Field Experience. So um, I was in like this little more progressive Christian bubble oh, while I was there. Okay. Um, and I didn't really see a lot of the conservative theology taking place until my last few years. And I had already planned to um, to be leaving, um, was finishing up my degrees and stuff. So um yeah, it was it was interesting as it developed further along. The statement of faith didn't come along until I left, but I I couldn't sign it because I don't believe in inerrancy of scripture. Um, and so those kind of things didn't develop till a little bit further down the line. Um, but then I left there and to to speed this up a little bit, I went to uh, Kansas City. I served my first church. Um, after I graduated out of Lexington Theological, um, and I uh, served at Community Christian Church there in Missouri. On the Missouri side, this is an important thing. On the KCMO side, um, I'll and, take your word for it. No, 
when you when you live where it splits into two states right there the city you have kck and kcmo right um and uh i did community organizing training while i was there i moved there right after ferguson happened um and and a week wow. after the shooting at the synagogue happened and so that was you know that, that synagogue shooting if you remember it in 20 oh my gosh 2014 remember it was it was kind of like yeah. the kickoff to a lot of the the religious based hate acts here or the continuation maybe not the kickoff more it, the pickup again it brought it to the forefront it, it yeah. brought it to the forefront of what was happening yeah so i learned a lot there having grown up in the latinx um, neighborhood i i learned a lot there about the history of the african american um, church um and the the role there the population there was very different it was 50% black, 50% white, essentially. Um, and that was a, I had never been like, um, really in a culture like that before, um, because of being on a living in a border state. So I don't know, have you, Eric, ever lived in a heavy African American populated state before? I mean, I grew up in Southern Orange County, which is back then it was really white. Uh, <laughs> And then, you know, my first introduction to, I had one black friend, I think there was maybe a dozen in my whole school, uh, probably more than that, but mm -hmm. they weren't very visible. Um, it wasn't until college that I started seeing at San Diego State, there was a, a strong mm -hmm. um, black community there and, and black student union. And being on the school paper, being sent to some of those events and saying, yeah, you're going to go cover this. I'm like, I'm like the whitest kid here. What are you, I'm a freshman. What are you sending me in for? You know, but yeah, it was, it was a, that was new yeah. for me. Yeah. It's eye-opening um, to be in a state that had such a different struggle with civil rights than Arizona did. Um, and we're just now starting to learn with Arizona being so young, like really bringing into our history the conversation of of civil rights and now Black Lives Matter movement, and so I learned a lot in yeah, here. It, it, here it seems to be mostly his, it, it, that is geared more toward Indigenous and and, yeah. and Hispanic, but there is yeah. still um, obviously you've got South Phoenix and the, its whole history with um, Black yep. folks, and it's yeah, yep. as jaded as it is, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So then I, um, after that um, position, I got offered the senior pastor position in Scottsdale. So um, not realizing this when speaking right now, I kind of have this ebb and flow of moving between really diverse positions in life to really... Yeah, I was going to say, Scottsdale's not really, you know, yeah. it's got its reputation, I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, well, and again, that area is not, and it's it's on the Cape Creek Scottsdale border. It's it's again an affluent area. It was much like my move to Chapman, in some ways, um, very affluent, very white, um, kind of in a bubble in terms of what was going on around there. But that is actually how I got more involved with Arizona Faith Network. Ironically, um, my uh, regional minister, quote unquote, bishop, for those that don't know that term. Um, asked me to serve on the board in his place at the time. And um, that's where I met Rabbi Bonnie Sharfman, who is now our That's all you president. need to say. That was, you just, I, I met say. Rabbi Bonnie. That's the beginning of everybody's story. Well, first right. I met Rabbi Bonnie and then the rest right. of it's like, yeah, you're done. You can't. 
For those of you who don't know, uh, people in Arizona probably, um, at least in my congregation, they're going to know Rabbi Bonnie, but uh, she is a a mover and a shaker, and she uh, is relentless in being inclusive and trying to bring as many voices together. Uh, She's she's just an amazing spirit. Right. She blows my mind. Yeah, and so we, uh, so her synagogue was actually moving in across the street from us, um, up in Carefree or Cave Creek, Carefree, North Phoenix, Scottsdale area, that little um, area up there that kind of hits all those cities. And uh, we did the good neighborly thing and let them use our parking lot for their high holy days and really started some good interfaith dialogue there. And my, um, my interfaith, uh, passion got relit that I hadn't really touched much um, for a while. And I really started seeing the need for social justice more. Um, I'm a lifelong Democrat, right? Um, Politically was not aligning with my congregation much, um, as much as I love them there. And there was every, every political view um, was there in that particular church. But I, you know, I went into ministry because of the really childhood growing up experience that formed me, seeing so many people needing help because of systems, and I didn't have this language then, but systems that were were stacked against them, um, literally preventing them from succeeding. And as much as I love doing ministry um, in that congregation and that church is amazing. It has great people. It wasn't the place to do justice work. And, um, I was really getting called back into that. And I, uh, then this position at AFN became available after we had heard that our NRM director had chosen to move on, um, back into government work. Mm -hmm. And I threw my name in the hat and I thought, you know, if this is to be, it will be, and it has been. <laughs> and you were, I mean, Rabbi Bonnie was part of the push for you. You know, you were kind of a known quantity to a number of folks at AFN. Um, you and I, I didn't know you, but, um, yeah. but yeah, you were, when you, when you were recommended, it was like, I walked into the one meeting and they're like, oh, it was like already done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the vote was just for show. <laughs> Everybody was already like, yeah, of course, Katie's going to come on board. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I'm like, who is this Katie? What is going on here? <laughs> but y'all left But it's been awesome. Sitting. Yeah, it's been so great. Um, and it's been very needed for my soul and my calling to ministry. I feel like my spiritual director I have calls it, um, you know, a position that has been made for me and I've been made for it. Um, just that alignment that we get at certain points in our professional careers and, and our ministry careers where it fits, right? Um, doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's always fun or that, <laughs> that it's perfect all the time, but it fits all these weird, wonky experiences. I've you got to deal with those those hardcore Presbyterian ministers Gosh. that are just all about decently and in order. and ugh. Order. Ugh. You know, ugh. you know. <laughs> We won't get into the history of how our uh, disciples were formed. Well, yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to go there. Gonna go there. But we, we're like the unruly bunch of old historic Presbyterians, right? Like, um, no, but you, I mean, it's so great working with not only the Presbyterians, but just so many different faith traditions that, that teach me um, humility to look at things differently, to, 
even though I did grow up in, you know, lower income area and diverse area, there are still voices that my eyes and my ears aren't trained to see um, or perspectives that are brand new to me. And so um, particularly um, even within the Christian tradition, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. Um, and then you go outside the Christian tradition to our partners at the Jewish Community Relations Council, to the United Islamic Center of Arizona, to SEMA Foundation, um, to our reps from the, the Sikh traditions. And there's just, there's so much to learn. And yet, so much that is the same that unites us. And it's, yeah. it's so needed for Arizona right now. I mean, um, I won't go yet into our advocacy that we do, but... It, 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 uh, our traditions drive us towards unity. Hmm. Well, so let me, I mean, like I said, I I think your story is amazing and your sense of, it almost seems like, as you tell the story that going into ministry just was natural. Like it wasn't, am I getting that right? I I think it was, um, I'm sure there was a lot of consternation discernment, but it just seemed like it was like, yeah, this is yeah inevitable. This is this yeah. is just this is where Katie's going, and this is the direction she's going. Well, you know, I've learned you don't um, fight God on some things because I definitely well, we did. Can. I mean, we do. You, some of us do. We do. I'm just There's saying. The, the rest, <laughs> I'm fighting God all the time. God. God's going. All right, Eric. I'll just I'll let you stew for a while. You'll figure it out eventually. That's right. usually how I get it. You kind of get hit upside the head sometimes. Yeah. Uh, That's how I tell people I got into ministry. God pretty much had to hit me over the head several times with the proverbial two by four before I finally was like, wait, what? Oh my gosh. And you know, for me, I did not want to do it. I, I, I did not want to go into ministry. It was, it was a big struggle up to the point where I did my MA first just because I was like, Oh, I'll do youth ministry. I don't want to preach every week. I, and part of the reason was, um, I had this reluctance to the calling um, to the point where my uh, boss at, when I worked at Chapman, I worked at the Interface Center, or, or another, you know, thing leading me to where I am. Um, but my boss there would, you know, leave seminary packets on my computer and I was just Subtle. trying to re- recycle them. Oh, know? sorry. Did I, did I leave that there? Oh, sorry. My bad. And, and or bring the seminary presidents by if they were there, you know, Claremont. Um, and so I, um, I really was reluctant to it though. And part of it was, I just saw even in disciples where we've been ordaining women for a long time, how much it was just a struggle to be a woman pastor. I've, I've seen them, um, my home church, like terrible phrase, but crucified, you know, the, the, our first single woman pastor we had and it split my church apart to the point where my church is closed um now uh and for a a variety of reasons but that was you know kind of the downfall of not being able to accept who god calls to be um bearers of of the word and the mission in this world and i've i've seen women hurt over and over again let alone just trying to you know those those congregants over the years that are like well you only work on sunday right that work-life balance of just and i have that personality that wants to always help and do a good job and take care of and it's really hard balancing that um in ministry and that's why i definitely recommend spiritual direction 
Um, but yeah, it was well, a tug I, and pull. I think most pastors, people who are led or feel called into ministry, even if reluctantly, kind of have those natural tendencies to want to help people. Um, right. The, the downside of that is also uh, most of us, many of us also want to be liked. And yes. <laughs> that sometimes can conflict with doing the good work of ministry because sometimes we're going to be on people's bad side because we're challenging them in ways that they don't want to be challenged or they aren't, they don't feel they're ready to be challenged or yep. they feel so comfortable where they are. So they don't want to move. Don't tell me to go into a different pew. I'm happy right where I am. Thank you. Right. Uh, right. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. And the experiences that I've heard of my female friends and colleagues who are in ministry are, they're just so different than what I, as a male, white male, experience. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I've been judged for my hair. Oh, your hair's looking a little shabby. You know, it starts to get a long. Mm -hmm. You look, need a haircut there, Pastor. But I never get told, oh, you look so lovely today. And, yeah. you know, I really liked your sermon, but that robe looks really good on you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. Why would anybody? I wear robes so that people won't look at what I'm wearing. Right, <laughs> right. Usually, I've got my shirt untucked, you know, and I'm, yeah, you know, and the robe is meant to just sort of disguise that in a way, to disguise that we are ministers and mm -hmm. we're not here to be um, objects, you know, of affection. And the cult of personality is the biggest danger, I, I think, especially for men. Uh, it male pastors it's really hard to not want to build that 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 community around us you know it's about yeah. what we preach and using our words and yeah the power of the pulpit um I, I don't know how that is as much for women but i do feel like women do get the the, the short end of that stick unfortunately i've heard horror stories i don't know what your yours have been but i've heard just horror stories of people and how they try how um church boards treat their pastors uh, belittling them, um, patronizing them versus the the male pastors who still get that, but not to the same degree. Right, right. Because age plays in there too, for sure. But True. I, yeah. I, I've never experienced more sexism um, than I have in Arizona. And that's saying to someone who served in the Midwest. And so that was interesting for me. But I used to have folks walk in on Sunday in Scottsdale and realize I was the pastor and be like, oh, but you're a woman. And they would turn around and walk out um, because yeah. I'd be to the point where I, I had a unanimous call or was so, so was told to me um, by my congregation, unanimous call to this church. And then I had some prominent families leave the church um, because they didn't believe a woman could teach them anything. <laughs> Like wow. a young, so did they abstain from the vote, or they just never even showed up? I don't know. I, wow. You know, I I didn't even go down. I think some of them um, actually voted for me. Oh really? Yeah. Is that anything <laughs> like voting against a uh, impeachment, but then going and never mind? No, I guess that's a different uh, road. Never mind. Whoa, Sorry. rabbit too, hole! Yeah. Too new, too fresh, too fresh, too, too soon, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, SNL just started making jokes about that. We're not ready yet. <laughs> <I'm sure>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we get our news from SNL and Stephen Colbert. So, you know, I, those are our two, you know, primary sources of news. Yeah. But, wow. That, yeah, it's, I, I wish you would think by now we would have moved on. But, you know, when I talk to my black friends, when I talk to my Hispanic friends, 
Um, and you know, Asian friends, they oftentimes don't get included in that group. Yeah. Uh, yeah. they all tell me, they say, look, you see the world through your white blue eyes <laughs> and, yeah. um, you, you, it blinds you and, and it does, and mm -hmm. it blinds me. It blinds me from so much of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, when I get, when I, when I see those police lights behind me, I know that I probably actually did something wrong. Rarely. Yeah. I think only once have I ever been pulled over where I didn't, I didn't think I actually did what they claimed I did and there was no point in fighting it. Yeah. But that's not true yeah. for everybody. Yep. Yeah. No. And it, it, you know, it's scary. I look at just even my high school being back in this neighborhood and um, there are gates now, there are police cars now, there are those off the school resource officers. I mean, it looks like a prison. You talk about the school to prison pipeline right. and um, it, it's, it's set up for that. It's like teaching our children um how to live in a gated you know patrolled community um it's very scary and it's hap it's increasingly happening in the white suburbs too yeah um as far as how how, how schools are being and we can get into the whole education in arizona yeah what are we 40, 49th we, there's one state that we keep flipping 49th and 40 between 48 49 and 50 as far as how much we spend per pupil and then the governor says oh yeah we're gonna cut 600 more million dollars from our <laughs> From our budget, budget through tax, yeah. through tax, you know, tax, uh, uh, tax reductions. I'm like, oh, can't yep. we just pay for what we have first? You know, roads. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy. I know. Stupid. Yeah. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Arizona. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh. The, the wild frontier still. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard. Um, I got um a real. I was part of a, a really cool lecture um a week ago by um Grady Gamage. And he talked about the myth of the cowboy that mm. we actually think that we can um, still live out here on our own, be individuals, and yet expect still to have all these things that are products of a community and the safety of the community and the benefits of being a community when we're this cowboy cowgirl like mentality and that it just doesn't work. And yet Arizona and its um, immaturity and age still believes it can and so it's arizona is unlike any other state in this nation it is such a unique place to serve and and be involved in justice work and advocacy too it's very well, very unique but even the myth of the cowboy is so much so hollywoodized you know that yep. what the real quote cowboys how they lived is nothing like we see right in hollywood and everybody thinks it's you know gun toting and you know john wayne and no they were poor yeah. <laughs> they were lonely yeah. they were oftentimes not the gun slinging whatever you know people that they think that people think they were yeah uh, it was a it was a it, yes it was a tough life um but it's been so hollywoodized everybody thinks they can run around in their jeeps with a gun on their hip and think hey yeah. look i'm a cowboy yep uh, yep but yeah that um the the golden rule plays there that whole love your neighbor um plays into how we how we even exist as Arizona because from that same lecture he talked about how we would not be able to live here if we didn't have a, a water system right? right and that water system has Thousands to be developed of Right. And it had to be developed in community. Like it could not be developed by one person. You have to work with your, your neighbors to develop a system like that, where it actually even made Arizona livable, at least down here in 
the southern part of the state, mid- middle of the southern part of the, the state. The valley, and, yeah, the valley. Area. Right, the, the valley area. And so we couldn't we couldn't live here without our neighbors and we have to figure out how to get along with them, whether we like them or agree with them or not. But even that, I mean, people act like, well, I did this. I, you know, yeah, the, so many of the, and I didn't know this when I moved here and I had to learn this, that so many of the canal systems that we have now are literally the same canal systems that the indigenous folks created thousands Mm -hmm. of years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, tens of thousands of, you know, this is we didn't create this <laughs> we inherited yeah. it or we took it depending on yeah. what language you want to use uh and yeah it, it got expanded well i didn't i shouldn't say we people expanded it um but uh but we i would say are are definitely um uh need to be cognizant of the fact that you know so much of what we have right now is inherited from others who worked yep. who worked hard Yep. Uh, and and did things that I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't be willing to do. <laughs> right, right. And we're caretakers for who comes after us. I think right. that's where we get lost sometimes. And that like, is a huge yeah. mess that we have right now. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like, how do we educate schools? Some people, oh, we shouldn't have public schools. And, you know, I, you know, I didn't have any kids or I haven't, my kids are gone. I shouldn't have to pay for it. But people, I, I think people don't realize the long-term ramifications that you know if if we don't have an educated society that society will degrade and the people who don't want to pay for it are the ones that are going to get just as much hurt as anyone else right that that is not a concept it's all about here and now yeah um and and forget later and it's been politicized it's yeah it's been politicized in ways that it it just should not there's so much of of what we're struggling with right now partisan partisan. partisan thank you yeah Right. So what, so, okay. So you've had this amazing story. You, you, you sort of walked into ministry, you walked in reluctantly, which I hear that story from pastors all the time. I don't know about disciples, but in Presbyterian church, we have to undergo a whole bunch of psychological evaluation, uh, have a full psychological makeup, you know, the MMPI and everything. Um, because I think they have to decide to make sure that we're crazy enough to actually stick it out. I think that's why, <laughs> I think that's why it's not to make us sane. It's, it's okay. This person, are they really wanting to, okay. They have to be really <laughs> crazy and stupid to do this. So <laughs> let's, let's make sure that they're, they fit that role. Uh, yeah. but as far as getting into this work in Arizona faith network and, and, and by all means share, share what Arizona faith network is doing. Um, you are the second, uh, executive director that was an interim, uh, yep. since Arizona Faith Network transitioned from the Arizona Ecumenical Council, which was a Christian yep. uh, community that goes back decades, um, they said, hey, we need to think about this differently. And the value of interfaith dialogue was definitely seen and viewed. And so AEC became AFN. Um, and of course, uh, the person that you, uh, you and I both know and love very much was the first executive director. Uh, yeah. I can't get her to come on though. Like I can't, I'm like, no? I gotta interview you, Aaron, come on. What's she thinking? I gotta, I'll talk, I'll talk. You'll get her. her. You'll get her. her. Yeah. I'll keep working. Yeah. Um, I think part of it was, she's like, I don't know what you're doing. So, but <laughs> so you were offered this position, you came into it. What, what is Arizona faith network? What is it working on? What is the value of AFN? Um, and how has it been to be the executive director of, uh, such a gaggle of cats running around that you have to figure out how to herd somewhat? 
Well, you know, um, <clears throat> I came into ministry beforehand working with nurses. And so I feel like I have a lot of <laughs> nurses and nursing students. And I always used to call them my herd of cats to to try to herd. <laughs> um, nice. nice. So I feel like I have this great experience coming into ministry. Um, working with working with clergy, it feels the same way. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Arizona Faith Network is such a um, wonderful and odd and unique organization that is doing really good work here in Arizona. Um, having the history of being the Arizona Council of Churches and then Ecumenical Council right. um, puts us in a situation that is um, unique to community organizing here. Uh, meaning that we we still have that relationship with the National Council of Churches. I sit on a couple committees with them, um, the other state executive directors. Um, we have this uh, structure on our board of directors here that is the bishops and or judicatory heads um, and or their representatives who, like Eric, who sit on our board of directors, he's waving for you all. Um, <laughs> and, and so it gives us this unique outreach of working um, not so much from the top down, but being a network that is connected to other networks, um, other places where faith communities um, kind of go and say, hey, you know, what's going on about Arizona and the wider community? How do I get connected? And so that's how we get a lot of our contacts to AFN. Um, AFN went interfaith in 2015, as, as you said, Eric. Um, mm -hmm. And the question around that, from my understanding, was really um, the the Church of Latter Day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I always say it backwards. Our our board rep Garrett always teaches me Jesus comes first, and so <laughs> nice. that's a good way to remember it. Yeah, it's helped me a lot. Um, they were they were wanting to get more involved with then AEC, and the conversation had already been happening of if we're going to be a network and a, a place for justice and dialogue throughout the state, we really need to have a wider lens than what we have. It can't just be for Christians. Hmm. Um, and so that was expanded. And so now AFM still retains a lot of the things that um, can sometimes be frustrating, but is um, also something that makes us beautiful in terms of structure of having our our bishops and judicatory heads and or representatives from different faiths because every faith is organized differently and that in itself is a challenge right. or not organized. Right. Um, and and having those community and members and leaders at, at the table where we try to come to consensus, right? We try to all agree, Eric is smiling because he knows the consensus model we operate off of. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a fan and not a fan, but yeah. I, I, I feel you there. Um, but there is power to in, in it saying we, we come together, we learn about our traditions, we teach about our traditions so that we can build up um, our relationships with our neighbors throughout the state. And, and we engage in dialogue on hard topics, not the, just the easy stuff. It's not just the golden rule of loving our neighbor it's it's saying you know how are we um not just the same but how are we different and how does that impact our worldview 
How does it impact our relationship with one another? And what does that mean on um, the issues that are facing our, our neighbors across the state every day? And that is where the justice and advocacy well, comes in. What does it look like to love the people that we don't really want to love? Yes. Who's your other? Right. right. <clears throat> and I've been a part of those great conversations with AFN, even when Aaron was director and yep. um, just, I feel like AFN has grown so much just in the few years uh, that it's been around. Yeah, it really has. And we still have I a long way to just, go, but we're doing, oh, we're on a good track. Yeah. Finding our, our, our footing has been, um, you know, challenging in a challenging time, I would say, but I always describe us as working in two buckets. Um, that lead into our motto. Um, one bucket's the interfaith dialogue, education, relationship building, uh, just that belief that you have to have a relationship um, to be able to move systems and change policies and act together. And the other is um, our social justice and advocacy. Bucket. And so our motto, um, if you haven't seen it on our logo, is be together, talk together, act together. And it's really the the format of our work of we build relationships with one another that will sustain throughout issues. So we're not an issue-based community organizing organization. We build relationships that will sustain throughout issues so that we can act on the issues that are harming our, our neighbors across the state. That's how I see AFN. Yeah. And, and that's a lot harder than one would think. <laughs> the, the my issue with the consensus model is that I feel like sometimes when we don't have consensus, the debate ends rather than saying, okay, right. where are the sticking points? How right. do we massage those? How do we work those? My my experience of the consensus model is let's keep working until we can get to a consensus, not, yes. oh, we don't have consensus, let's pull back. And I feel like I've right. been, and, and many organizations that I've been a part of, oh, no, no, we don't have consensus, let's pull back. And right. I feel like that is actually doing an injustice because then we're not growing. We're not stretching. We're right, not right. listening necessarily. <laughs> right. If, if anything, I, we're, we're sort of hiding behind our lack of consensus. Exactly. And the, so our model is set up so that if we don't have consensus, we go back to talk through, work through and and keep those issues or action areas in dialogue and conversation and relationship until we are ready to act together. Um, <clears throat> because of who sits at our table, we can't act on every issue because there isn't consensus where there might be, um, you know, for me personally, some items that I would love to speak out on this session that I know I can't, right? Um, at least not with my AFN hat on. Uh, and so, but that's a hard, that's a hard uh, hat to take off once you're in it. <laughs> I know it is. It is. Uh, it is, dear board member. Um, <laughs> no, no, but, I get it. No, I yeah. totally get it. I, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. And even as a pastor, when do I get to take that hat off so I can go speak <laughs> as a citizen, as a, as a member of the community? And that's it's just not all. We don't always have that freedom. We don't. And it's it's a hard thing um, to realize when you're going into ministry that you have to be able to balance that really. Um yeah. I always tell people, yeah, I always tell people when I'm preaching, I'm preaching out of my own struggle. Um, and, and I'm never telling people what they need to believe. I'm telling you, mm -hmm. you know, a, as the clergy, as the educated, you know, formally educated person, 
um, that doesn't necessarily mean the smartest, <laughs> but <laughs> the formerly, formerly educated person in theology and biblical studies that I'm presenting what I believe to be the truth um, or a truth, uh, you decide whether mm -hmm. it is or not. Uh, I can't tell you that, but this is, um, I'm, I preach to try and bring the community together and to challenge us to keep growing and, and moving forward. When I say my church is progressive, I don't necessarily mean liberal. For me, those are not synonymous. Progressive yeah. means we're moving forward and we're growing and expanding in our understanding of God and, and the, what God is doing and, and who God is, but also what God is calling us to do and be. And that is, uh, uh, seems like a moving target sometimes. Uh, oh, yeah. it changes with contexts and whatnot. And with AFN, it's got to be just exponentially so. Yeah. And I mean, I have been so um, insanely blessed that we have had just amazing board members, right, who are here because their heart is in the work um, and it's it's not a power struggle. Um, we all believe in the mission and the vision of AFN. We've crafted that mission and vision together over the last few years um, and now we're trying to live it out and uh, we really work hard to keep in relationship with one another we genuinely like like each other too which is really helpful <laughs> you know i've heard you say that publicly and yeah. we genuinely actually like each other you say it like it's a surprise <laughs> thing i think that's hey. hilarious <laughs> yeah. You've, i'm sure we've all served on committees and boards with people we've struggled with but oh, sure. to have 26 plus people and traditions around the table where everyone actually like gets along and is you know seeking friendship outside the board meetings that's yeah. pretty remarkable um we are in a I, people keep saying we're in a unique time in the life of our nation and i look back as a history per, as a political science major as a history person this is not unique if anything this is mild compared to what our history mm. has been in the past uh, especially in the early years of our our nation's uh our our, our government um but it you know i'll i'll yeah we are definitely increasingly divided how do we speak truth how do we speak justice into a world where wearing a mask has become a partisan issue mm. um where you know we've got people storming the castle other people backing them up and saying yeah 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 and by castle i mean the capital um yeah. sorry little princess bride have fun storming yeah. the castle take it away it'll take a miracle have fun yeah. Miracle Max. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, we, we have that going and we have other people saying, yeah, 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 go, go, go. But they're not willing to necessarily do it. And we've got a whole swath of people saying, I can't believe that that just happened. And of right. course, many more people saying that they are just shocked uh, by it. Um, you know, we 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 had a president and, and I, this is not partisan for me because I would call out, you know, I would call out President Obama. I think Obama did some, uh, committed some horrible atrocities uh, along the border, you know, with his mm -hmm. sort of doubling down on playing the Republican game, for one thing, uh, but doubling mm -hmm. down on immigration and saying, you know, became the deporter in chief. He deported more people than any other uh, president in, in, in history. And I don't know the numbers for I'm a little out of the loop now, so I don't know the numbers um, under President Trump. But that was a tough four years that were where the language right. come out, coming out of the White House was just increasingly divisive. If you're with if you're not with us, you're against us and you are the enemy. You are the enemy of this country, let alone the enemy of, of uh, across the aisle. How do we bring people together? And you said, you know, your congregation was 
politically kind of big tent, so to speak. Um, my congregation definitely leans left, but I've still got some conservative Republicans in my congregation that I find myself protect, having to protect against the onslaught of, uh, and sometimes the vitriol of, of more liberal and progressive people. Um, other churches, it was the exact opposite, which is just sort of mind boggling. How do we bring people together with such deep divisions, um, ideologically, politically, uh, let alone theologically or religiously, how do we bring people to the table to say, we need to listen to each other and we may not like what we hear, but we still need to hear. Right. Right. And, and for, and by that, I mean, people on whatever side, uh, you know, I, I right. think liberals can be just as fundamentalist in their perspective as yeah. conservatives. How do I we bring agree. people together to have that conversation? Cause I think there's this vast swath of people in the middle um, who are just like, I, you know, who are looking at both ends of the spectrum and saying, y'all are crazy. Right. <laughs> and they're hiding right. behind, you know, their Facebook. They're, they're being very careful about what they put out on their, you know, on their social media, on their Twitter or their Instagram, yeah. because they don't want the onslaught. And rather than trying to speak into the public square, they're avoiding it altogether. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely had those moments where it's just, I don't want to post this because I don't want to get those comments right on either right. side. Um, <clears throat> I think you kind of said it in, in the, the asking of your question a little bit, Eric, there where um, the listening is just so key and there hasn't been that, right? Like we haven't been listening to one another, not in a way that truly, um, actually looks at the other person as if they have something real to say. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree with them, but it does come back to what is the core of, I think, my faith and the core of, I think, um, has been articulated through AFN repeatedly that each person in themselves has dignity and they have, um, they, they have, um, however you define it in your religion, right? And in, in uh, Christianity, it's the Mago Dei. They, they are holy in themselves because they are made in the image of God. Um, and because of that, whether we agree with them or disagree with them, there's been a total lack of listening to one another. And part of that has been, um, I feel like we've been played by our politicians and by people who are in power, they have made us afraid of one another. We've, we're living into this myth of, um, and it's completely against our religious traditions, right? We're living into this, instead of love one another, fear one another. And if you're a Christian man <laughs> and woman, man and woman, <laughs> um, and all other identities, um, we have to go back. And just if you read the gospel, like how many times is in there? Do not fear. Um, and, you know, we learn like love God and love yourself and love the other. And I think fundamentally we aren't doing that. I mean, when we just we come back to where and how and why we are living in broken communities and places right now. I don't think we're listening to the right voices in some circles. Um, when I was serving in Scottsdale, I repeatedly preached the same sermon with different words um, that had the underlying message of no one else can be your Messiah, but Jesus. Um, 
And, and I really think there are folks out there who are letting politicians, ideologies, all these other things replace Jesus or, or, or whatever voice of faith they are following. This is a Christian podcast. So, you know, saying, oh, good. saying, Thank saying you. Jesus yeah. is okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so ooh, lost my glasses. Um, yeah. So I think there, that we're entering into this, this dangerous time and maybe it isn't unique um, politically, but I think the way our politics are breaking apart our communities and and even in our churches turning folks against one another um it's really dangerous and i just it really goes back to that fundamental um everybody has dignity uh william barber says that it's a moral problem right i do think the soul of the nation um is is hurting is broken is lost right now um and it breaks my heart, you know, it really does. It breaks my spirit and my heart some days, especially as I, even just this, this session watching in Arizona, what's going on um, and, and how people are just in complete contrast to one another and turning issues like wearing a mask to keep yourself and, and the person um, next to you safe into this big identity of, um, oh, if you wear it, you're, um, you're, you're a Democrat and you don't, you know, you just do whatever people tell you to. And if, um, or, um, I'm not wearing it because, you know, I believe in my individual freedom. Like it just goes in contrast to what we're taught in our, in the pew. All I remember is sitting, you know, as a little kid in vacation Bible school. And like, would we have stood for that then? Like, really? I can wearing a mask to driving on the right side of the road. We don't drive on the left. Not that the left is bad, but uh, we don't drive on the left because that's going to put people at risk. Right. Myself and others. I wear a mask. The same reason why I drive on the right side of the road. Right. Exactly. And that, that, yeah. that falls on deaf ears, unfortunately. Yeah. More often than not. Dorothy Day, I think, the, the, the famed um, uh, Catholic activist, uh, especially for poor people, uh, started the Catholic worker movement. Uh, one of her famous sayings, uh, or at least that's attributed to her, I think she actually wrote it in one in mm-hmm. book. Um, I can only love God I can only love God the amount or something like that of uh, that I love the person that I love the least. Yep. Something along those lines. I'm I'm butchering it, but um, yeah. This idea that my love can only my love for God can only be as strong as the person uh, the love that I have for the person that I love the least. Um, that is a uh, that is a damning statement. <laughs> and it is a it is a hard statement. I, I've I've taught my congregation that the the text in in the in the Christian Gospels where Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself. If you look back in the Hebrew, um, it could be translated as love your neighbor as self. Mm. That mm-hmm. you and I are so intricately bound to one another that your well being is directly tied to my well-being and vice mm-hmm. versa. Um, you know, if we don't want to educate our kids, you that means you're you're shooting yourself in the foot as much as anyone else. Um, their well-being 
is tied to your well-being. And if you want to live in a society, if you want to live in peace and security, then we need to lift the people up who uh, are, are, are challenging that because more often than not, my thinking is they're challenging that because they've had such a, uh, you know, you, you talked about where the systems are stacked against them. I don't believe people act badly because they want to act badly. Mm. They act badly because, and they do things that harm themselves and others um, because they feel like they don't have any recourse. They have, they don't have other options. People steal not because, you know, it's the old, I don't steal because I enjoy to steal. I'm sure there are some that do, but people mostly steal because they're hungry or because they need, right. or they have this need that's not being addressed. Not necessarily right. a desire, but a need. Um, when people are doing well, uh, everybody does well. Right. And right. We, we've, we've created this huge disparity in income. We've created these systems that just are stacked against the poor. They're stacked against people of color. They're stacked against, um, you know, anybody who's not white and wealthy, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and we could even say white male and wealthy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just feel like, you know, Jesus was speaking right to that kind of system in his right. own time, but that just, doesn't get heard in these churches. And I, I mean, I've preached it explicitly and implicitly. And, um, you know, I hear people say, Oh, I've never heard that in a church. I'm like, well, actually I just preached on that like a month ago, but that, <laughs> but that doesn't get heard. It doesn't get heard even in my own congregation right. when I do preach it, it's like, yeah, I'll go with you up to here. But that person, that, that guy over there, that girl over there, that woman over there is just, no, 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 I, they don't count. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's always the exceptions. And I, I gotta be honest, I have my own exceptions. I preach right. from I preach from my own struggles. There are yep. people in this world that I cannot stand that yep. get under my skin. But I got to find a way to still love them even if I can't be in a relationship with them. Yep. And yep. how do we do that? And I feel like one of the things that AFN brings together it's funny I, I feel like I get along so much better with uh my interfaith partners and friends and colleagues than I do Christian colleagues and friends. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It we depends have better upon conversations. Mm, more, more often mm. than not, not always. But yeah. I, I think in the Christian world, we make a lot of assumptions about each other. Of where we stand and what, of, yeah. Of, or even the language we use and how we speak mm. about our traditions and how we speak about our faith and our religion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having as a, as a progressive liberal, having a conversation with a, a, a charismatic evangelical conservative is just, it's hard. It's very hard. It's so um, hard. I get so, better conversations with the local associate imam at the Tempe uh, 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 Islamic Center. You know, he mm -hmm. and I, when we do get to talk, we don't get to talk very often, but when we do talk, I just, I love our conversations. Um, and we're sharing our traditions with each other with absolutely no intention of trying to convert or say mine's better than yours. Right. Um, but we can't do that in Christianity for some reason, or it's harder to do that in Christianity for some reason. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, the, your, your home family, your, you know, your, um, your family you grew up in your nuclear family, right? Like those, yeah. those issues, you know, you disagree with like your mom or dad or your siblings on or whoever your grandparents, um, like they touch a little bit deeper. kind yeah. of. Maybe. And so I think when we're in conversations with interfaith, there's this 
um, honest like assumption that we don't know right everything that the other person believes or stands for and we're not claiming to be an expert on that and in our own traditions um it's it's a little different because we're supposed to be experts as clergy and mm -hmm. we're um and so we don't approach it with the same maybe humility or curiosity all the mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. and so um I definitely, you know, my other in life, I always preach those sermons to, you know, who's your other, um, our other Christians too, yeah, right. <laughs> the, like the, yeah. the conservative evangelicals I struggle with and I tell them that up front. And so I do try to approach them much the same that I've learned how to approach different faith traditions because, um, the hair on the back of my neck stands up sometimes, right? We have, um, and in AFN, we have our our social justice program manager is Khalil Rashtan, who runs our, our criminal justice reform Great work guy. and phenomenal guy. You should have him phenomenal. on here. Yes. Yeah. He's on my list. I just be, haven't contacted him. Yeah. He'll <laughs> yeah. yeah. do it. It's a long um, list, but... unfortunately, that I'm trying to... <laughs> Um, so Khalil would always, always says, um, you know, I know I'm in the right place when I walk in the room and the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because it's a group of people that I would not, it's not preaching to the choir. It's not, um, telling my story to folks who already know it. It's actually going to be a meaningful conversation, even if, um, they react to his story of being incarcerated in a negative way. Like at least he knows he's in the right place place to have that conversation. And I think when we're trying to stretch ourselves about, especially stretching ourselves in definition of who's my neighbor and, and how can I learn, you know, believing that we don't have all the answers, we need to pay attention to the places where, where the hair on the back of our neck stands up, or we just feel really uncomfortable because I think that's where we're going to learn the most. And wow. I think that wow. is going to be like the solution to, to this great divide is it's going to hurt and it's going to make our stomachs turn and it's not going to be fun because we have to go in without um, our pride walking in first to these rooms to realize like we are not all right on one side or the other or however we look at this that like we have all together contributed to this brokenness of community and you know we can't do it without one another. We're, yeah. We are not going to have wholeness. Disciples of Christ tagline, right? Is um, we are uh, a search for what is it? A movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. <laughs> what is it? Uh, and that fragmentation, like we have to move towards whole, wholeness. And it, man, it's painful. It it's not. Well, yeah. it also means we need to be willing to change. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's the painful part. It's not painful part isn't when we're right and when we're yelling some our our opinion in someone else's face right that's the easy part when we know we think we're right and we know why we think we're right and we firmly believe it the painful part is the growing part of really learning where maybe it's not even being wrong but learning something new that helps shape us or not even right and wrong you know i think about it in terms yeah. of just um learning to appreciate the other um, yeah i i you know I can say I love somebody. I care about their well-being. I don't care who they are. I care mm -hmm. about their well-being. Um, mm -hmm. And in that sense, I can say that I love them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I appreciate them. 
Right. So I can love them as a human being, but I don't necessarily appreciate them as a person. How do we get to the point where we can begin to appreciate each other? And and this is my sticking point. It's got to be mutual. Yeah. And that's the hard part for me. It's when I appreciate somebody and I don't feel like I'm getting the same respect. Um, yeah. It's hard for me to take. And it's, I, I'm, I'm, that's still a huge growing edge for me is how can I appreciate the other without expecting it in return? And right. I'm, not, I'm not good at that. I'm just not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, there, um, and, and that might be too, from, you know, growing up in, in your particular shoes. Cause there, there are rooms I walk into and, you know, I, I have to give AFN just a lot of love because, um, I have not once had anybody give me grief for being a female pastor, even if their traditions don't ordain women. Um, but I know there's going to be rooms where I walk in where I'm not going to be respected. I, you know, I've been on phone calls with traditions, with the pastors that don't ordain women. I've been in with some of our, our state senators that don't believe women should be pastors, you know? And so, and, and that's as a white person with all the, the privilege that comes as a white person to saying that, like, I, I flat out know. And I think that that's something I, you know, learned going into ministry is that I'm just not going to get that respect from some people. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean we can't move the issues though all True. the time. True. Cause we still have been able to do some good work on issues, even with people who don't agree with me. <laughs> yeah. So what are you reading these days? Do you have anything interesting that you're reading real quick? Oh gosh. Um, I'm in a, a book club. So we do books that have been made into movies. So right now I'm reading, um, <laughs> Which is, you know, the, our first, one of our first ones was The Princess Bride, which is lovely. To go back and read the book. Um, right now I'm reading uh, Hidden Figures. I actually haven't read it yet. I don't know if you oh, have. Really? No, I haven't read yeah. it. Yet. I've seen the movie. And I, I have not seen the movie. So I'm really, really excited it's that I phenomenal. have it. Um, yeah. So that's, that's taking up my time right now. And I tried um, when I was sick with COVID um, really to just read things that were, were fun um but yeah so i have a long list of things to read i don't want to go to but i maybe that's something we should put on afn site is like a what i'm reading yeah that'd be interesting for our board members to list that i have a bad habit of reading three or four books at a time because i get bored my my add gets like okay i've read 60 pages of this book i'm bored i need to go on so i'm reading everything from richard Rohr's universal christ which i'm teaching a class on for lent yeah and john grisham one of john grisham's latest novels and i forget what the other ones oh my gosh Uh, yeah rabbi learners uh what is it revolution of love or whatever it's called revolutionary love a book study on that with oh, him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, with Last him. Last summer. Yeah, he came in and talked to us. It was oh, really, wow. really great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Katie, you are awesome. I have such uh, immense respect for you. And uh, I think you've come to AFN at just the right time. And the gifts <laughs> and the voice that you bring uh, and, and your energy and your willingness to engage uh, has. Well, it's just, it's a blessing. And I think it's a boon, not only to AFN, but to uh, our, all of our communities. So I thank you for the work that you do. And I also thank you, of course, for coming on my, my little brewcast here. Um, it's good to see you. And I definitely appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Faith and Coffee Brewcast. Be of good courage and know that you are loved. 
You can find the Brewcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe. Send your comments and questions to eric, E-R-I-C, at faithandcoffee.com. Find the Faith and Coffee blog and older episodes of the Brewcast at faithandcoffee.com. Subscribe and receive email updates directly in your inbox. The Faith and Coffee Brewcast is a podcast about Christian faith and life in the everyday. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithandcoffee. Be sure to click on that like button. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily, nor are they intended to represent the opinions or official positions of any of the organizations with which I, Eric Letterman, am associated. The Faith and Coffee Brewcast is produced by Bad Coffee Productions, LLC in Chandler, Arizona. 